let's turn to our subject for this evening. We're thinking about husbands and wives. So we need to look at some scriptures first. So let's turn and read in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis 1 verses 26 to 31 which says this then this is on the sixth day God said let us make man in our image in our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air over the livestock over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground so God created man in his own image in the image of God he created him male and female he created them God blessed them and said to them be fruitful and increase in number fill the earth and subdue it rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground and then God said behold I give you every seed bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it they will be yours for food and to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground everything that has the breath of life in it I give every green plant for food and it was so God saw all that he had made and it was very good and there was evening and there was morning the sixth day now we'll read in Genesis 2 from verse 18 so this is a second uh, complementary account as you might say looking at it from a different angle in verse 18 having explained the task for the man and the trees in the garden verse 18 the Lord God said it is not good for the man to be alone I will make a helper suitable for him now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep and while he was sleeping he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh then the Lord God made a woman from the rib or side he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man and the man said this is now bone of my bones flesh of my flesh she shall be called woman for she was taken out of man for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame so that's uh, Genesis chapter 2 and Ephesians 5 we've already read so I wanted to say a word about the helper what it says about helper in verse 20 and verse 18 
I will make a helper suitable for him as as my memory serves the word suitable means exactly matching so like a key exactly matches a lock um, or the door exactly matches the door frame or whatever uh, there's an exact match between the capacities and abilities of the man and the capacities and abilities of the woman so a suitable helper and in case we were to think that the idea of being a helper is a demeaning thing please look at Psalm 54 verse 4 Psalm 54 verse 4 Catherine could you read that for us please thank you uh, it's one of a number of verses in which God is spoken of as a helper so it's not a, a demeaning idea to be a helper it's not the same thing as slave something like that it's uh, it would not be found in scripture the Lord is my slave that just wouldn't work but it, it is found in scripture the Lord is my helper so it's not a demeaning thing to be a helper so what I thought we would look at is three questions what why and how and in those three questions I am not at all confident that I can cover very much ground here is a here is a book by Christopher Ash on marriage which is a super book and you see how thick it is I met Christopher Ash once and he said he, he spoke about the book that he'd written and he said he said, I've met a lot of people who've got this book, he said, but very few of them have read right the way through to the end. And then he quoted a bit of what he'd written and he said, hmm, did I write that? Not surprising that people haven't read to the end of it. But it, 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 it is actually a super book. And I'm, have I read to the end of it? Not quite, but I did notice some markings on the page, on page 339, so I've read quite a bit of it. I c nobody can cover that in, in, uh, in half an hour on a Sunday evening and that's all about marriage that is not a book on the problems that go wrong with marriage that's, that's another two or three books so I'm just going to scratch really the surface and hope that in scratching the surface you get some idea oh, don't, we don't miss out that too much so what and why and how so what are husbands and wives so definition of what are husbands and wives. Let's pray, shall we? Lord, do help us as we look at this subject. We don't want to approach Scripture without first approaching you and asking you to show us wonderful things out of your word by your Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to borrow Christopher Ashe's definition, or almost borrow it, as he's defining marriage. Okay, so... Husbands and wives is not quite the same thing as defining male and female, is it? Because you can be male without being a husband and you can be female without being a wife and you can be a husband but that might not be your wife, that might be somebody else's wife. So uh, we're getting to what what husbands or wives are, they are male and female, but not just male and female, any old how, but in a committed, exclusive 
lifelong social, public and sexual union. And that's really a definition of marriage. I'll give you what Christopher Ashe says, because he says it very well. He says, marriage is the voluntary sexual and public social union of one man and one woman from different families. This union is patterned upon the union of God with his people, his bride, the union Christ with his church. Intrinsic to this union is God's calling to lifelong exclusive sexual faithfulness. So he said that in careful length and I've got most of those points not necessarily in the same order. But that's what marriage is and a husband and wife are the two partners in that in that uh, arrangement. So let me uh, let me say what Christopher Ash says. He says that's what marriage is. That's what it is. And even if the government redefines it, that's still what it really is. Do you see my point? That's what. Uh, you, you can redefine it if you want to. All you do is, is create unintended, unhelpful consequences. It's part of being human. It's hardwired into humanity that that's what marriage is. Let's look at uh, a couple of texts. Matthew 19, 1 to 6. which I don't think is what I meant. I think I meant Matthew 19. Yeah, it is 1 to 6. Matthew 19, 1 to 6. So Steffi, please could you read that for us? Thank you very much. So notice that Jesus, when asked a question about marriage and divorce, Jesus goes right back to Genesis and, and he sees there the definition or the origin of marriage and he, he starts drawing things out from that. For example, he says, what God has joined together, let man not separate. So he, having, having picked up the, the picture in Genesis of man and woman, uh, then you get the idea of them, them leaving father and mother. So there's a leaving of a previous social group and becoming together as a new social group. And the, the sexual aspect of it, they, are, uh, they will become one flesh. Uh, they are no longer two but one. And what God has joined together, let man not separate. So 
as you think about it, the different elements of the sort of definition that we're now thinking about uh, are there if you if you draw them out, uh, male and female in a in a committed, exclusive, lifelong, social, public, sexual union. Let's look at Exodus 20. 14, because this flags up another part that is not immediately obvious from Genesis, but is certainly part of the biblical idea. Genesis, uh, Exodus 20, verse 14. Exodus 20, verse 14. Exodus 20, verse 14. Lindsay, please, could you read that to us? Thank you very much. So here, uh, so um, this emphasizes the idea that, okay, there is a sexual union between two people, and there are boundaries to that. So outside of that, in other words, if of this couple that have a sexual union together, there is sexual a union sort of which breaks that particular covenant or that particular relationship it's, it's given a word called adultery uh, and it's not to be done so we, we've, we're building up a picture of male and female we've committed commitment exclusivity uh, the lifelong bit what, man, what God has joined together let man not separate the fact that it's social so it isn't just for sexual purposes, and then they go off for, for the rest of the time. It's a social union, and it's public. There's a leaving of father and mother, and a joining together. So it's obvious that one social group has been left, and a new social group has been formed, and uh, it includes this uh, the, the sexual aspect is, is essential to it. So that is what husbands and wives is about. And we can differentiate it from, for example, singleness. So a, a single person will meet people of the opposite sex perhaps work alongside them and there will be a degree of, uh, of, of, the, of the interplay between what men are particularly good at and what women are particularly good at. So single people aren't immune from the idea that, uh, as it says, that there's that helping aspect of the woman that she can do what he can't do and there's a working together. But singleness is not the same as marriedness. It's a different state. Jesus was single, wasn't he? There's nothing wrong with being single. It's, uh, so I differentiate it on against the churning of partners. So churning is when you, uh, I mean to say, when you have a, a sexual partner and then it all you sort of grow tired or you weren't expecting to stay together and have another sexual partner and another sexual partner and another sexual partner. So that 
is different from marriage in that it isn't lifelong, is it? It's not committed. Uh, it, there's a sexual union, but it isn't a committed one. And we differentiate it again as from same-sex relations. So not, uh, you could be good friends with somebody of the same sex. You could work together with them. You could, I would say, you could share a, a flat together with them and be good friends. And I've omitted any anything sexual in this uh, at this point. Um, you could be partners in that sense, but it wouldn't be marriage. And now let's bring the, the same sex aspect into it. And what I'm going to say at this point is whatever you want to call that, it isn't the same as marriage. Because the distinctive thing about marriage is that you've got the two opposites. You've got male and female. And I would say even from the grammatical point of view, why can't we have a word which particularly means the sexual union of male and female, because there's something special about that. So I, I think one could complain to the government and say, why have you robbed us of the word which says, here's a sexual union between these two opposites? Because of course that we have been robbed of that word, haven't we? Because we can't, we can't uh, apparently now legally distinguish between uh, the sexual union of opposite male and female and the sexual union between same-sex couples. But anyway, I, I would still want to maintain that this is what marriage is and we ought to have a word for it. So perhaps I'll get thrown into prison for that. And we distinguish it uh, again from unfaithfulness where the the, uh, the bond of marriage is is broken. So even even I think even if you were to speak to people who would claim to have no particular liking for Christian morality and Christian sexual morality included, but if you were to say such and such a person cheated, everybody would know what you meant because they would know what cheating is. They would know that uh, a sexual union has an implication of faithfulness in it uh, and that there is such a thing as, as cheating on that. Okay, so that is what? It was the aiming for a definition. So I'll stop and ask if anybody wants to make any observations or ask any questions. I'm going to do why in a minute and then how. Christopher Ash, yeah. Well, it's a very, very good question. It's a very good question because what exactly makes a couple married in the Bible, Bible uh, biblically speaking? Do you have to go to the Church of England to be married? Do you have to go before the state and sign something to be married? So in, in, in traditional thinking, uh, you know, if you, you take up to 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, I think you could you could make a statement without fear of much contradiction to say 
to be married in the biblical sense you need to have made a public promise in a recognized public state controlled or state sanctioned legal framework but you notice in Genesis when Adam and Eve were married they weren't married according to the canons of the Church of England uh, were they? It, God brought the man to the woman she, he said this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh and they were married so it's a question did it involve a promise or is it simply a public statement I used to be at home with mum and dad now I'm with so and so I think it's a, it's a good question I don't particularly know the answer what we're talking about is when it becomes unclear whether we're to understand somebody to be married in the eyes of God I think it would be helpful if people did try to be clear I think it would be helpful for the people concerned to say do we, do we, do we want to be married? do we want to be what sort of relationship do we want to have? if we want to have a sexual union it ought to be a committed one it, and it didn't ought to be secret so there's a way of doing that which is called being married and you go to the registry office and sign something so I, I don't see why people can't do that but on the other hand do we have to insist from the Bible that to be married people ought to have gone through every particular um, you know, thing that's in our particular culture what do you think Steve I don't see why they shouldn't make it clear and as you say if they wish to be recognized by the state in sort of economic terms as being a married couple then to go through the procedure of uh, you know, making a public statement and having it signed and witnessed and everything I mean why, why not why make life difficult why not do that but uh, having said that the Bible does not make um, the Bible doesn't go as far as to make that sort of thing explicit does it? That when Jesus says you know what's a married couple well he says for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh so I, I'm thinking that if people move in together which is a public thing and if they I mean, does that constitute a promise? does it imply a promise? certainly isn't uh, a public promise made 
made before witnesses and signed and sealed but is it more well is it more like being married than anything else is it sort of irregularly improperly married than than anything else yeah yeah <laughs> yes yes well, they don't and yet they do uh, so it, 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 it's th this is sort of the dilemma that we have nowadays isn't it, uh, it, it w I think it would be helpful to everybody to be clear and public and whatever steps you need to take to, to say we're married uh, to take them however the Bible doesn't actually stipulate that in the eyes of God Okay, thank you very much. Which verse was that? Pro Ah. Yes. Is that part of the definition of marriage or is it part of what it aspires to? So if people live together in a public union but they don't particularly enjoy it, have they have they stopped being married? Yeah, uh, uh, I think he he probably covered that in the voluntary part of it. There's a willingness, isn't there? Because you think this is what I want to be. This is this this is something I'm happy being. Uh, so, yep, thank you for that. So let's let's go on to why. Why? What is the thinking behind marriage, if there is such a thing? And I think there is some thinking behind it. Let's go back to Genesis chapter one. So we, we read 27 and 28. Would anybody like to suggest any connection? Is there a, a, a rational connection between verse 27 and 28 which would answer the question, why should there be husbands and wives? So Genesis 1.27 says, Male and female, he created them. And verse 28 says, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Do you think there's any, any rational connection between those or not? Yeah, I think that is entirely logical. So you need male and female in order to get from verse 27 to 28 don't you? you can't be fruitful and increase in number unless there is some some way of doing that and uh, that can't be done by Adam on his own nor indeed by Eve on her own it needs both of them together doesn't it so I think that there is a, a, a rationale here in terms of in terms of the human race in terms of the 
the propagation of the human race. So uh, uh, it's, a, it's to do with reproduction, having babies. So you need, uh, you need husband and wife to have babies, and, and God has made it that he wants babies to be made in this context of a man leaving his father and mother and being united to his wife and the two becoming one flesh. That's the way God wants, wants it done. So it's not, like, uh, it's not like lions that have one male and loads and loads of females. It, he doesn't, I mean, I suppose you could propagate the human race that way, but God says, no, I don't want it done like that. I want a man and his wife and the two become one flesh and they stay together and they're faithful to one another and that's the way I want it done. Does that make sense? Let's look at 2.18. Is there a rationale there for male and female? Chapter 2, verse 18. Is there a rationale there, I beg your pardon, between, uh, for having husbands and wives? Yep, Chris is nodding. Yes, there is. Anybody like to say what, what the reasoning is, if there is any reasoning to it? Yes, the ruling is a joint project. Um, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So he can't do this on his own. It's a joint project. Uh, I think it's not unreasonable to say that the joint project that God has got of filling the earth and subduing it and the whole human project can't be done just by men can't be done just by women either there needs to be an intermatching of different gifts and capacities to to do this project he needs a helper and interestingly he goes through all the beasts of the field and none of them are up to it they either don't have enough conversation or they um, they can't put his tie straight for him and uh, all the things that uh, uh, these, uh, these uh, beasts can't do and for Adam no suitable helper was found so the Lord says right I'll take something from your intimate makeup uh, a rib from you, a side from you and make a companion for you and you will be almost identical in the sense that I've extracted something from you and yet she will be wonderfully different and it seems to me there's always that magnetism that having been taken from Adam there is always a sort of magnetism to, to come back together so simply reproduction is something that the man could not do on his own and the whole project uh, needs male and female and a, a third why I've put here from Ephesians 5 to image Christ and his church I don't think that's going too far so I think there's a, there is a purpose that's, not, that's beyond uh, reproduction which is to say that this union of the two opposite poles of humanity the loving intimate union of those two unlike creatures, if you like, uh, is meant to image, to show to the world the real big marriage 
between Christ and his church, the two unlike Christ in his holiness and his glory and the church in her weakness and uh, indeed her sinfulness and Christ the Savior who so loves the church that he sacrifices himself for her to make her a radiant bride without spot or blemish or, uh, or wrinkle and to bring the two together in a wonderful union and I'm suggesting that a third reason for the existence of marriage is to show in a small way uh, that big future thing that's to come. And the reason I point that out is of course that it is possible for people to be married when they're too old to have children. Isn't that right? There's a genuine thing it isn't that you can only be married when you're young enough to have children, so reproduction is the only thing that matters. Uh, and, and indeed, it isn't, it isn't just, I don't think, about, uh, about you know, productivity and, and ventures. I think it's a way of relating. And as Ephesians 5, you will have noticed it, 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 it alternates between Christ and the church and the husband and the wife and he says even at the end of it in verse 32 this is a profound mystery now hang on I'm not talking about marriage I'm talking about Christ and the church so he, he, he alternates between saying this is how husband and wife should be but of course I'm really thinking about the great marriage of Christ and the church so there's a, a little look at why shall I move on so then I thought how how do you become a husband or a wife? Aha, you were wondering that, weren't you? Well, I've got, I, uh, I didn't have a lot t enough time to think of good answers for this, so this is what I thought of. Uh, number one is by arrangement. It's a very good way of finding a husband or wife. Get somebody to arrange it for you. In many parts of the world, this is part of a pastor's job. He's got to, uh, got to mercifully not in this part of the world, but uh, to think, oh, sister so-and-so would just, she'd be an ideal wife for brother so-and-so. So, -and -so. so uh, arranging marriages, I think, I'm all in favor of. Uh, as long as I don't have to do it. <laughs> uh, but uh, prayerful seeking. I, uh, so I, I think for, for most single people in a European context, Christian people, uh, there's a, a right prayerfulness is this what is God's will for my life and a, a, a seeking in the sense of I mean not, not sort of but in the, in the sense of well you know is, 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 has God got a, a possibility there for me uh, I, I don't think it's wrong to, to go to whatever it is Oak which, which, not Oak Hill Oak Hall Yes, it's good, good, <laughs> good idea to find a wife by going, going on an Oak Hall holiday or a husband. Prayerful seeking. And then I think in the end it's God's providence, isn't it? It's God who brings people together. So how do you become a husband or a wife? Well, perhaps by arrangement, but by being prayerful and waiting on God's providence. How do you become a husband or wife? I would like to say by sober judgment. Uh, I don't know whether I'm being at all realistic in this, but I think it is worth thinking through 
is this person a suitable partner when uh, when the when 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 life becomes uh, nitty gritty when you've got two children to look after and they won't go to sleep and things like that uh, how will we get on I, I, I would like to put in a plea for sober judgment rather than just gut feeling um, by loving adjustment how do you become a husband or a wife you love one another and you have to learn to adjust to one another you have to learn to live with a creature who sees things very differently from yourself you're probably wrong but uh, there's, a, there's a process of adjustment you, so I would, I would advocate that and then uh, by aspiring to these two uh, m sort of m model characteristics that he has in Ephesians and the husband is, a, is to aspire to loving sacrificial leadership so the husband is to, as it says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of water through the word. So what did Jesus do? He loved his church and he went to enormous lengths to bless her. He gave himself up for her. Uh, he cherishes the church and looks after the church and protects the church as it says in verse 29 about uh, um, feeding and caring as Christ does for the church so there's, that's the husbandly role sort of epitomized in a few words as being sacrificial loving leadership and the wife's role is epitomized in what he says here verse 24 uh, that the wives should submit to their husbands in everything and he says something similar in verse 33 uh, the husband must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband so I put that in other words to say this is a sort of self-offering of saying everything I am everything I have I offer to you I think that's probably the right way of thinking of submission. It's a sort of self-offering in a slightly different flavor to the husband's offering of himself, but this is the wife offering herself. What does it say? Now, as the church submits to Christ and says, I, am, uh, I, I offer my whole self to you, so wives should submit to their husbands in everything so I put those two poles those two sort of uh, epitomes of how the relationship is meant to work and that was my thought on how would anybody like to comment or anything um, no, not really. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, it, it, does it say leadership? It, well, I've put leadership, haven't I? 
sorry yeah it does say head let's give it oh, which verse are we on here <coughs> the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church his body of which he is the saviour I don't think I've got much to say uh, off the top of my head on that I, I think I'm I think I'm conscious that I think it's going to work out in different, with a different chemistry of different people and different couples. But I would want to hold on to the, the headship. I'm, I don't, don't want that to become equally symmetrical. I don't want it to say, uh, as Christ is the head of the church, so the woman is the head of the man. I don't think it says that. It, it, it gives a, a relationship that goes in a particular direction. I think I will stop at that point. I mean, I would stop answering that question at that point. <laughs> yeah. Well, it says in verse 21, it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So that's a, that, that is the currency of all relationships. And, and then it, I think what it does, it embeds that into particular relationships with in particular ways. So, uh, so children and parents, he isn't going to say, parents submit to your children is he he's going to say children obey your parents so he's going to spell out the way that sort of falling into place the submission uh, works out in different human relationships which is why I don't think it says husbands submit to your wives I think it says you play out prop the proper relationships when it comes to marriage in the husband sacrificing himself as Christ loved the church and the woman submitting to her husband as the church submits to Christ it's not equally symmetrical it's got an asymmetry to it I'm so pleased I've solved every problem and it only took half an hour. Well, so it's, it's a big subject, isn't it? There's a lot to think about and, uh, and how's, how this works out in individual people's lives I think is a huge, huge area. Uh, but at least we've, we've, we've had a look at it. Let's pray, shall we? Lord in heaven, we thank you for this rich and beautiful uh, ideal uh, in the scriptures we thank you for making us male and female we thank you for the gift of marriage uh, we know that in this as in so many areas of life uh, there is human failure and the need for forgiveness and the need for your grace but we thank you for the rich gifts that you do give and we thank you even more for the prospect of the wedding supper of the Lamb and the great marriage of our dear head and saviour, the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.